Welcome to the future. Technologies and innovations that sculpt our industry. This episode recorded live at the 2024 AHR Expo. Learn more at Johnson Controls at johnsoncontrols.com. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're hanging out at the 2024 AHR Expo, and we're spending time with Johnson Controls talking about next-generation heat pumps. So the big topic that we have in our industry, besides the refrigerant transition, which is a whole other topic that we're actually talking about with Chris Forth over in the other podcast booth, is the changes that we're seeing in heat pump technologies. So going forward, we are making a transition in our industry. I always look at it as an evolution of our industry. You know, when we look back, I like to compare it to the automotive industry. You know, it's an easy example to show. Um, did you guys work on your own vehicles when you were growing up? Yes. You ever? So, you know, a lot of times we had carburetors, right? 1980s, 1990s, we'd have a carburetor, you'd have a mechanical timing system. You had the fundamentals of an internal combustion engine that hadn't changed in decades. And it was relatively easy to work on and we got comfortable working on those and we thought that that was the norm. And then as we decided that we needed to make a transition into higher efficient internal combustion engines, we started adding things like pressure sensors, temperature sensors. We started adding controls that would use those inputs to manage outputs. And so we made this transition from an entire industry of understanding a mechanical operation of a internal combustion engine to a solid state, higher efficiency, same internal combustion engine. So we really didn't completely redesign the engine. We made some modifications to lubrication. We changed some friction. We tried to make it more efficient, but the big thing was the change in the electronics. So we went from learning how to adjust mechanical controls on an engine to understanding how these digital controls manage that engine better. So when we look at heat pump technology, we're not completely reinventing. We're, we're doing some modifications to our internal compression engine. We may change some lubrication. We may add some vapor injection or liquid injection, but we're still working with the fundamental same construction. But what are we doing like we did in the automotive? We're transitioning to digital inputs. We're working with pressure transducers, temperature thermistors. We're using a lot of inputs to do a better job of managing the output of that system. So let's look at the entire industry and let's look at how heat pumps are changing the way we look at the equipment that we have traditionally worked on in the past. Because there was some stigma from heat pumps when we look at all of our predecessors, just like we had stigmas with an old cast iron engine that ran on a carburetor. <laughs> they just, they weren't efficient, but they did work pretty well and they didn't have a lot of maintenance. But a lot of our modern vehicles have much more capability to understand what's going on inside and takes away some of those troubleshooting and diagnostics. So let's pick on, let's just pick on the technologies that have changed in the last decade, even maybe in the last couple of years with heat pump technologies. So let's start at, uh, let's start at introducing ourselves and then each one of us can take a shot at what you've seen individually. 
Perfect. Yeah, I can introduce myself first. My name is Matt Schlegel. I'm a commercial product manager, so I specifically work with our light commercial rooftop units. Um, our facility manufactures from three tons up to 80 tons with rooftop units uh, and commercial splits uh, from seven and a half to 50 tons. My focus specifically is our three to 12 and a half ton product line. I've been with Johns Controls around 10 years, mm -hmm. brief hiatus away back at it. Um, and so, yeah, 10 years with Johns Controls on the light commercial product side. Um, we can maybe all introduce and then sure. we can tackle the question. Sounds good. Thank you. I'm uh, Rajesh Tixit with Johnson Controls. I'm Director of Global Product Management for applied uh, heat pumps using synthetic refrigerants, but also uh, responsible for the industrial refrigeration uh, side mm -hmm. of the business of Johnson Controls. So I manage uh, our Frick, Sabro, and York brands uh, globally. So I'm really glad to be part of this podcast here. Uh, to talk about the diversity of uh, technologies when it comes to heat pumps, as well as the refrigerants that are deployed in heat pumps. Excellent. Yep. So uh, my name is Piero Caballero. I am a product manager for Johnson Controls Residential part of the business. So we are the small guys in terms of capacity. We do you know all the way from a ton and a half to five tons. Um, so our factory in Wichita, we manufacture products like uh, furnaces. Uh, air conditioners, heat pumps, obviously. Uh, we have residential package units. Uh, we have coils. So I specifically focus on heat pumps. So I'm, I'm, I've been uh, brought to the team to uh, kind of look at the next generation of heat pumps, you know, assess what's happening in the industry, and that way we can make a product that is, uh, that is as efficient as, as it can be on the heat pump side. Okay, well, Piero, let's start from our residential and let's work up. A lot of people here are going to be familiar with the residential side of heat pumps, probably not as familiar with industrial, but we want them to be. And so we're going to show the entire residential, commercial, industrial aspect of where we're going. Perfect, yeah. <clears throat> so I think on the residential side, we've definitely seen a trend, uh, I think two big trends. One okay. of them, uh, variable speed, so inverter-driven yes, com uh, compressors absolutely. are becoming starting to become the norm. I think the, 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 you know, the proliferation of, of inverter-driven uh, uh, components is becoming just more and more mm. um, out there. It, obviously, the, the efficiency uh, levels are becoming more stringent. Uh, government uh, regulations are becoming more stringent. So that's driving some of that adoption of variable speed. The other big trend that we're seeing that's related to technology is going to be cold climate. Yes, I think there's absolutely. a need for cold climate heat pumps just because as we transition to electrification, right, uh, and kind of moving away slowly from fossil fuels, um, I think the need for having a heat pump that is efficient in colder climates is definitely essential. So we're starting to see the trend um, here. You know, we're, we're seeing that uh, uh, most of the industry is kind of adopting uh, heat pumps that can operate all the way down to negative 25, negative 40. Is that degrees. amazing? So that, is, that is kind of starting the, the trends. We've started, we started seeing that, those trends. Now, one thing that I have noticed with some of the manufacturers is if we look at even, say, two years ago, we may have had a majority of the models that are available being single stage or two stage and a minority of that being inverter-driven systems. Have you seen a flip in that for model selection? Because as we drive closer to efficiency, we really have to in introduce inverters into the mix to be able to meet these requirements. And so I'm starting to see a lot more inverters and a lot less single-stage and two-stage equipment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's still a market, though, because oh, yeah. of the price point. There's uh, markets that are more price-sensitive. So sure. you still need to have a single-stage or a two-stage, but we're seeing 
definitely, absolutely what you're saying, the, the, the regulations are getting more strict, uh, the efficiency levels, we need to just keep up with, with the industry. So yeah, absolutely, very driven is kind of becoming the norm in the residential. Uh, we're still seeing in certain markets, like in the South, for example, in the, in, in the US, yes. we're seeing still the need for single stage or two stage because you optimize it at a certain temperature. Yeah, right? absolutely. So that is something that, that is, I'd say, the benefit and obviously the, the, the price as well of a two-stage. It's less complex, um, so that drives down the, the cost of the units. Yeah, and that completely makes sense. Now, Matt, when we think about the commercial applications, not everyone thinks about heat pumps in a commercial environment. And primarily because a lot of times we don't even see the equipment. You know, we're talking about a lot of rooftop units. We're talking about a lot of systems that are not in the environment that we are witnessing. But there are a lot of heat pumps in the commercial sector. And what is the evolution of heat pumps now that we're going to see in the commercial side? Yeah, so I really love the example you used with the car earlier because that's exactly what we've seen, not just with heat pumps, but with commercial products. Yeah. The transition from electromechanical to microprocessor controls, yes. the digitalization of the entire portfolio, starting in the unit itself, how you commission it, how you service it, and now moving into the customer space and how our customers interact, um, how a building owner is going to interact. It's so much has become digitalized that that was not before. And we've seen that same thing with heat pumps, uh, specifically with John's controls, the introduction of our smart equipment controller roughly 10 years ago really moved us into the microprocessor world from a control standpoint where mm. it is now our standard controller. You cannot get controls from us that are going to be electromechanical anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. What that's opened up with us for heat pumps is bringing in some of those other technologies. So we're not quite at the same level of, of technology integration with inverter compressors as the residential team. Yeah, um, I get But that. variable speed fans, all of that, that's going to be standard on all of our commercial products, whether it's an AC or a heat pump. And so that's the first kind of introduction into inverter technology for our customers was with VFDs applied on the blower, modulating your airflow there, which obviously gets you to higher efficiencies. Indeed. As we do look forward and where things are going, so Piero talked about cold climate heat pumps. That's definitely something in the commercial sector we're watching as well. Oh, really? Commercial's wow. a little bit behind the residential folks um, as an industry. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think really helped the residential side of, of the business is the DOE cold climate challenge. Oh, yeah. That really sparked everyone's interest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sparked interest. It firmed up specifications. Um, it it kind of made funds available. Nothing like that has really come around on the commercial side yet. And so as a product manager, specifications, that's, that's my world. That's what I care about. And, sure. and as an industry, we're kind of picking here and there, trying to figure out who's going to set that cold climate spec. You know, is it going to be the Department of Energy? Is it going to be CEE? Which entity is going to come forward and say, this is what a cold climate heat pump needs to look like in the commercial sector? Um, we know as we drive to that, heat pumps um, are, are going to probably have a, a multi-phase uh, evolution, like you talked about. So in the commercial world, like you said, they, they've not been as prominent, not been as thought about. One of the things you see as a result of that in a lot of manufacturers' portfolio is you may have three, four different efficiency tiers for an AC model, and then here's yep. the heat pump as well. The exactly. heat pump a lot of times was an More like an optional item, yeah. Exactly. You had kind of niche markets, certain climates that it played really well in. Um, and so what we've seen is 
the first stage of that evolution is getting to higher efficiencies. And so we have multiple efficiency tiers. We have multiple product lines that overlap the same tonnage mm. that all have heat pumps. So specifically our three to 12 and a half ton portfolio, we have three different product lines that cross that tonnage range. Each of those now has a heat pump available. Uh, and on two of those, we have multiple efficiency tiers, a standard efficiency and a high efficiency. That's interesting. Just within the heat pump. In the past, that, that wasn't a thing. It was just, here's the heat pump. If you need it, I hope it fits your needs. And so there's been a lot right. of evolution there moving forward. Uh, and we know inverter compressors, that's going to be a big part of the future as we reach higher efficiencies and prepare for cold climate heat pump challenges as well. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And I can understand why there is a, a slight um, lag in between the residential and the commercial. When we look at the technology transition, we are driving for most of those transitions to happen in that residential sector first with our commercial and our VRV following afterwards. But it's not a lot of time. So, you know, in the next couple of years, I would anticipate we're going to see a lot more changes in that commercial sector, especially as we start becoming more comfortable in the residential side of inverters. Well, what about when we get to industrial? <laughs> what are we going to see there, Rajesh? You know, um, I would start by saying that every chiller is a heat pump. Yes. Okay. So yes. over the years, last 20, 30, 40 years, we have been using a lot of chillers. Now with the push for uh, decarbonization and uh, decarbonized heating and... Uh, uh, with customers uh, having very clear uh, carbon-neutral uh, goals and mm -hmm. net-zero goals, the most viable path to decarbonization is the use of heat pumps. I agree. Once again, I'll say that every chiller is a heat pump. Now, you asked about the trend. The biggest trend that we are seeing, and I can provide a global perspective, but let's start with North America. In North America, if not all, many of the legacy buildings... Mm -hmm have this 180F or 160F hot water loop. Sure. You have existing boiler uh, using fossil fuels that produces that 180F water that goes into the building. It comes back at 160. And then the same building has a standalone chiller for the cooling needs of the building. So right. you have a standalone chiller, you have a standalone boiler. Working on a similar system. Same environment. Right. So now if you really want to decarbonize and cut down your uh, CO2 emissions, uh, I'm not saying eliminate the boilers, but try to reduce the usage of the boiler to the maximum possible extent. So you need a heat pump that can simultaneously provide chill water and hot water. Now the standalone chiller that you had in the building was doing, let's say, 42 Fahrenheit chill water. Yes. And the boiler was doing 180F hot water. So... You need a heat pump that can do simultaneous 42F and let's say 170F hot water. There are not many technologies out there that can do that. But fortunately for us, as I said, every chiller is a heat pump. So there are places in the world, like Middle East, where water is a big issue. It has always been a big issue. And they need a lot of cooling. Yes, a lot of water for these towers. Right, so dry, uh, 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 dry coolers and bank of radiators. Yes. So several years ago, 10, 15 years ago, we developed a what is called as a high-lift chiller that can provide the chill water that you need, 42 degrees or 44 degrees, using very high entering condensed water temperatures, something oh, like 130 okay. Fahrenheit, 140 Fahrenheit. Now look at the same equipment in a different way. If I apply the same equipment as a heat pump, now I can get 42F yeah. and 150, 160, 170F. That makes the building retrofits very uh, practical. Sure, absolutely. And you don't need to get into expensive airside um, convergence. 
So that is one uh, big trend. If you really want to decarbonize ex existing legacy buildings, you know, you got to have that medium to large capacity, high lift, high temperature, heat pump. But the other one, of all the sectors and segments, if there is one that has committed itself more to sustainability, mm -hmm. is the higher education. Yes. The, the college campuses, right? Yes. For obvious reasons. And on any college campus, the heating load, the 10% of the total heating load is for low-pressure steam that is used for sterilization, cage washing, autoclaves, and so on. So our customers are now coming, okay, not only I need 170 Fahrenheit hot water, very sure. high hot water temperature, but now actually I want to decarbonize my steam. Oh, yeah, okay. I haven't really thought about it from that perspective. So now you're looking at totally different heat pump technology that can actually deliver steam directly, directly, replacing the fossil fuel-based steam. And that's the other big one. Okay. And if we are able to do that, then the industrial process uh, decarbonization also gets simplified. Yeah, absolutely. Now you it does. kind of uh, replace your 30, 40 pound steam with the heat, with the steam coming from the heat pumps as opposed to from boilers. Wow. And our customers are expecting to do all of this using low GWP refrigerant. Yeah, or in yeah. Some just cases, add this on top. <laughs> yeah, and in some cases, customers say, actually, I want a zero GWP refrigerant. So fortunately, we are working on all of these technologies uh, using variety of refrigerants. You know, there is no one ideal refrigerant. No, absolutely. So that's why we are kind of... A lot of, of transitions uh, right now. Diversified quite well. So I think about uh, particularly our buildings. I hadn't even thought about the school aspect of heat pumps from the industrial side, but when we start looking at the, the electrification movement and we see that we're going to be eliminating gas options in many places around the country, that does provide a immediate solution when we start looking at high-capacity heat pumps that can deliver both our chilled water, our hot water, and now even potentially steam, and at low GWP refrigerant solutions. So as we look at a, an industry not only we're we looking at the residential taking shift, we're looking at commercial taking a shift, we're looking at industrial taking a shift. And so we're, we're hoping to paint that picture for everyone that an entire industry is actually moving. And we're learning these technologies as we go, and there's a lot to keep up with. And so that's a fantastic representation of what we will see for you know, new equipment in an industrial application. So let's talk about time frame in some of these. Let's go back and talk about residential and we've seen this transition into residential specifically in our air to air heat pumps but what about like air to water are we seeing air to water solutions because we know that in industrial we have air to water solutions do we see residential moving into a potentially an air to water environment particularly with the capacity and the capabilities of these heat pumps yeah this is a great question i i think that there is a, a slight trend in that direction um we're not seeing it uh, as prevalent yet, uh, especially here in the, the U.S. In the yeah. U.S., yeah, I think in international markets, I think you, they're they're a little bit more popular. I think in the U.S. we're still very strong with the air-to-air. -air. So, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I can't really speak. Our, Ninety percent of our products, or at least the products that uh, that we manage in the which the factory, yeah. are going to be air-to-air. -air. So, I think that's uh, that's something that we haven't seen as much air-to-water, but I think there is definitely a market for it. Right, because you know, we look at industrial applications. It's just it's a prime candidate for our air to water exchanges. Mm -hmm. What about in the commercial side? Do we see more heat pumps being introduced for a air to water style scenario in the commercial applications? So they're they're certainly there. Um, I, I would say probably the biggest hindrance of transitioning to air to water and and where um, 
package rooftops kind of reign king is cost. And, and yeah. we know a majority of, of installations are going to be cost-focused. Um, and, and I think, frankly, that's something that has held heat pumps back a little bit in the past is seeing that cost delta going from an AC with a furnace to a heat pump. Some customers, without having the education of understanding the decarbonization benefits and, and those things, they didn't want to pay the higher price point. So right, I do absolutely. think as, as we explore air-to-water, um, it's... It's growing as all heat pumps are growing. Um, I think cost is going to be uh, a big deciding factor on can we land at the right price point? Can we get customers the air-to-water product at a rooftop level? Or is it going to continue to be a little bit higher and drive customers to the rooftop solution? Excellent. You know, Rajesh, you, you mentioned a very interesting thing with refrigerants a while ago that w- everyone is looking for solutions for refrigerants. We have a lot of limited access to refrigerants in this R410A phase down, particularly. In industrial, it can sometimes be even crazier with the amount of refrigerant transitions. So I get a lot of questions about what refrigerants are we going to see with the manufacturers. And so I think it's a good opportunity to take a look at the refrigerants that are going forward, and not just in heat pumps, but in equipment in general. So let's uh, let's look at the residential side, and let's understand what Johnson Controls is going to be looking at for some of our lower GWP refrigerants in equipment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I think this transition, like you mentioned, right, has been very hectic for the residential market. Absolutely. You know, we went from 410A to 454B, uh, slightly flammable uh, refrigerant, so we've put all the safety around it. Uh, and I think that's kind of where we're seeing uh, in the next few years. We expect to have another transition uh, coming up. Uh, we, we don't have a timeline yet, but no. we definitely see it I, I know it's coming. So, <laughs> yeah. so as we, we have to. make those, uh, those uh, regulations stricter around uh, low GWP, I think that definitely uh, we're, our R&D teams are exploring different refrigerants like propane or uh, CO2. There's a lot of refrigerants that are out there that we can uh, potentially look into. So that is what our, our teams are doing. They're researching. They're looking at performance. They're looking at efficiency levels. How, sure. how can we get maximize and get the best out of our heat pumps with different refrigerants? And what is the impact to the cost? What's the impact to the material? Uh, do we have compressor technology that's available that can support that transition? So all of those things we're looking into. Um, we're just kind of waiting to see what the industry as a whole is doing. But we are very prepared. We're looking into all of that just like we did with this uh, latest transition. So with this, if I could, I yeah. wanted to add just a little bit to that. You sure. know, Pierre talked about being very prepared. And, and I think one of the things that our engineering teams did really well. So with the transition, moving to A2Ls, low GWP, our, our teams really found two refrigerants they wanted to consider. R32, R454B were the two they looked at. And, and multiple years of testing went into the decision-making process. One of the things I really liked that our engineering team did um, in selecting R454B was kind of looking to the future and, okay, we've got a low GWP threshold now, 750 coming in. These two refrigerants, they're both below that. But what happens if that number what drops? What will it be in the future? Right. What will it be? And, and so one of the benefits that we saw in utilizing R454B was trying to insulate ourselves if there is a slight decrease in the future to that maximum GWP um, that's allowed let's say it drops from 750 to 500, yeah, which with R454B, <laughs> we are still below 500. Okay. And so R32 is above 500. And so we wanted to kind of insulate ourselves um, from a potential slight decrease in the future before it drops all the way to zero or whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and Piero mentioned something I, w- I want to talk about on the commercial side. He mentioned the safety factor yes. as well. 
and that played a big role. I, I would say a majority of our development on the commercial side has been around the safety factors. You know, what happens not just with the refrigerant, but our electrical components. You have to look at what, what are they rated for? Exactly. Are they, you know, spark What's rated? What's the environment that they are in? Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, our engineering team, so with refrigerant detection systems, knowing that we have to put these sensors into our units, they want to optimize. You know, we want to have the fewest sensors as possible. Yeah. You know, keep our costs as low as we can for our customers. And so we went through a test process where they put, um, I think in, in one case, it was over 30 sensors inside of our unit, had in, intentionally had a leak within the unit right. to, to simulate the field environment. And they looked at where the refrigerant was pinging all these sensors. Looking at concentration levels in different areas. Exactly. And, and, and figuring out where, where would we, we need to put it sensors. if we needed to. Yeah. 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 So how can we put the fewest sensors in the unit to optimize and make sure we cover every piece of that unit? So, I mean, in, in some of our commercial products, we've been able to locate just a single sensor in the product. Some, as they get bigger, need two or three sensors um, based around all of that testing. Uh, and, and the last thing I want to say, and then... Could turn it back to you. No, no, this question. is great. This is uh, a wonderful segue into another topic here. So, from a safety standpoint, too, and, and kind of a, a helping our customers through the transition, you know, with with commercial products, with all products, but but our commercial products kind of spread across three different categories of how we have to treat A two O refrigerants from a safety standpoint. Okay, sure. Because of the amount of refrigerant in the units. So there are three categories. There's a threshold that if you're below four pounds, yep, and one code does mm-hmm. not require a refrigerant detection sensor. That's it's right. optional, but it is not required by code. If you're in the middle threshold where a majority of our commercial products land, it is dependent on where that product's applied. That, the upper right. threshold, you always have to have it. It is just, hey, there's so much refrigerant in this unit, you have to have a sensor. Mm-hmm. But a majority of commercial products, basically everything that my team manufactures from three tons to around 50 tons falls into the middle category where you actually have to look at not just the unit, but the application. You have to look at how much space, what's the volume of the space that that unit cools or heats for a heat pump. You have to look at the smallest room that service, and you even have to go down to look at like the discharge height in the space. Um, what we have done as Johnson Controls, uh, we want to give our customers as much flexibility as possible. We don't want to just say, look, you might need a sensor, so we're going to put it on everything. We right. want our customers to be able to make that decision, but know that they are making the right decision based on code. And so we've put together a calculator. We call it our RDS calculator, the Refrigerant Detection System calculator. It's available to our customers on our DS Solutions app. It's available in our selection tools. So what our customers can do when they're selecting our A2L products, they can go in, make a selection, and we know, obviously, we're the manufacturers, we know how much refrigerant is in that unit. Absolutely. We plug that into the calculator, and then we walk them through step by step. What is the total area right, that you're Right, measure this location. How much right. cubic space do we have in Exactly. Here? So we walk them through that process, and then we make yeah. the calculations for them. Oh, I love and that we idea. let them know at the end, and they can add it to their engineering submittals, and it will say an RDS is required or an RDS is not required for this particular application. Um, now, again, a customer can always choose to have the sensor yeah. if they want to. If, if it's a large job and they know some units need it, some don't, and they want consistency. Um, or even if they just, hey, they want to provide that extra level of extra security. piece of security. So they can always do that. But we want to make sure they are accurately informed 
of whether it's required for their particular application. I'm so glad you went this direction because I've always been hesitant to to ask. I, I, I ask everyone, hey, can I see what your RDS system looks like? Can we look at sensors? Can we see what our control looks like? And I've, I've got a lot of input on the residential side, but I've not gotten a lot on the commercial. And that's a wonderful explanation of what we're doing. We're just looking at the space going, okay, is there a potential of needing one here? And you may not. And if you don't, but you still want to add one, we still have that capability. And we have a calculator to help make that more sense. Absolutely. Well, if we look at that as a whole, is that a topic that we can talk a little bit more about is RDS and different applications? Um, sure. I think it's a fantastic thing to talk about because we have so many people going, I know it's coming. I know it's going to be here. What is it going to look like? So in our commercial, we're starting to see we've got a good calculator for that. What about in the commercial or the or the industrial and the residential sectors? Do Industrial is kind of a unique one because a lot of it's outside, but there are times where we will see some interior applications. Yeah, so, uh, you know, first of all, as my colleagues actually well said, uh, we are better prepared and preparing proactively for the future. At this particular show uh, on our booth, Johnson Controls booth, we have two uh, air-to-water heat pumps. Uh, the first heat pump is with uh, R454B refrigerant, oh. and the other one is transcritical CO2. Oh, so looky there. Natural refrigerant <laughs> with a GWP of less than one. And then we have two heat pumps, water-to-water heat pumps, that are with uh, low GWP refrigerants as well, R1234ZE. Really? I yes. missed that. I've got to come take a look yeah, at that definitely. one. And then uh, R515B. But besides these fluids, right, as the trend is to go to higher and higher temperatures, hotter and hotter hot water temperatures, potentially creating steam out of the heat pumps, yeah. we are also investing in naturals. Ah. And so um, I listed down some refrigerants here so that I don't miss any. Yeah. <laughs> and so besides the one that I already quoted, we have ammonia. Uh, which wow. is a B2L fluid. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, Don't hear much about it, <laughs> but so it is a there. Lot of ammonia heat pumps, uh, pentane. Uh, we are working, uh, sorry, we are, we are doing uh, butane heat pump right now. Okay. We're working on pentane soon. Then we are also working on something unique, which is a blend of ammonia and water. We already have water as the refrigerant in our portfolio. Absolutely, yeah. Now we, we had ammonia as well. Now we are using a blend of ammonia and water. And so, uh, and then transcritical CO2 that I already mentioned. So really a huge variety of uh, uh, refrigerant choices for our customers. From a, uh, a safety point of view, from a plant room ventilation point of view, yeah. um, you know, I've been to uh, plant rooms with ZE and with ammonia. So they have the standard uh, requirements like uh, ventilation fan, uh, the refrigerant leak detection, yeah. Uh, emergency washers. So it really depends on the refrigerant charge. Sure. A lot of ammonia chillers uh, and ammonia heat pumps tend to be low charge anyway, uh, but yet you know, the, there are some plant room requirements that you need to To address uh, with the two to, wells. Yes. You need to address through. Um, okay. I wanted to mention something, but yeah. I don't want to uh, uh, deviate from your... Uh, from your agenda? No, no, this but is an open I, agenda. I, I want this to, this is the best conversations when they go off the rail. <laughs> something that I forgot to mention. So, you, you, you talked about uh, trends and insights. One of the, one of the big things that, uh, that is happening out there is what is called as geo exchange, which is different from geothermal. So, in, in the case of geothermal, um, you are extracting the heat, but you're not necessarily retaining the heat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fluid. But in case of geo, geo exchange, it's a closed loop. 
So let's go back to our chiller. Yes. Um, and let's say, let's say we are in the month of July, hot month of July, August. So the chiller is producing uh, chill water. Mm -hmm. And let's say typically you are using cooling tower water for the condenser. Sure. So that heat is being rejected to the cooling tower, right? Right, absolutely. So instead of rejecting the heat to the cooling tower, now you're actually sending it using a geo exchange, uh, geo exchange system, let's say 700, 800 feet deep, that goes and exchanges uh, heat with the sedimentary rocks. Yes, absolutely. Right? And so that becomes like your... Uh, your, your storage capacity. Yeah. Storage capacity. And so at that depth, the outside ambient temperature has no influence. So that becomes like your thermal storage tank, right? Absolutely there. it does. So come winter time, you can uh, harvest that heat and that becomes a evaporator source. That is very uh, intriguing. To deliver 160, 170, 150, whatever the customer wants for sure. heating. And a live example of that, this is not a hypothetical... Uh, design. Yeah. <laughs> design. It is actually being done at Princeton. It has been done at Princeton. We just uh, commissioned the system really? with large heat pumps. Beautiful. The name of the plant is called Tiger Plant, thermally integrated geo exchange resource system. So I love that. What idea. is Princeton doing? Yeah. Princeton is very clear: no combustion and no cooling towers. Simple. Okay. No combustion, no cooling towers. Do it all with heat pumps. And so today, uh, this morning, there was an article from New York Times, and I just want to make sure I quote it correctly. Sure. So the title of the article was uh, "To Slash Carbon Emissions." Uh, colleges are digging really deep. <laughs> there we <Yeah>. go. <laughs> so uh, something to watch out for is uh, geo exchange. Yeah, I can see that. We you know we talk about energy. There are a variety of ways that we can transfer energy, and we always forget that. You know, we we typically look at heat pumps going. Okay, we're going to move heat from a place that we don't want it, and we're going to put it to a place that it doesn't particularly pertain to us. So we're moving heat from indoors to outdoors. Well, what about that heat? We just moved energy. Why can't we store our energy and reutilize that in other applications? So I'm really glad that you brought that up because it, it makes us think outside of the box, which we're going to have to going forward. You know, our entire decarbonization effort, whether you look at it as a degasification or you look at it as electrification, they all are serving the same purpose. We're looking at reducing our global impact. We're looking at reducing our carbon footprint. And how do we do that? Well, we simply look at it from a new perspective. We use technology to be able to bridge these gaps with energy and put them into places that make more sense. And that makes so much sense. And, you know, also make it easy for our customers because heat pump uh, is a great idea. Yeah. But there is also a general lack of awareness and a little bit, bit uh, of a reluctance to indeed. deploy, right? So make it easy by... Uh, taking the turnkey responsibility and making sure uh, you are able to offer, let's say, factory performance test. Sure. So the customer can test the heat pump at different conditions. Every customer is unique. So for example, in the case of Princeton University, um, we not only tested the unit at design points, but 17 other off-design points mm -hmm. to simulate the real-world conditions. Okay. The Princeton team was there. So all I'm saying is a heat pump manufacturer should be uh, should have that uh, capacity to demonstrate the performance before the unit is shipped to the field. 
I really like that idea. So even in the industrial side, I mean, a lot of times we think about what happens in the industrial can move down into commercial, can move down into residential. So now we have all three sectors of our industry looking at what are our best options. Um, I, I look at that going, there are so many potentials in the commercial and in the residential applications if we rethink how we use our energy. Many times in the commercial, especially when we get into the VRF side of things, we look at like heat recovery, where we're starting to use our thinking outside of the box perspective going, if I have one room that needs heating and I have one room that needs cooling, why don't I just move the heat from one location to the other mm -hmm. and not expel it to the air outdoor? Exactly. I can use so much less energy to do that type of work. So I, I hope that we see more of that going forward. Is there, uh, I know we can't talk about R&D side of things too far, but do we look at those in the residential and commercial applications as potential energy solutions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the residential can be a little bit more challenging because the smaller you go, right, the losses, the percentage when you start having it's all those thermal fraction, losses, sure. it's going to be more impactful on your system. Yes. I think on the, on the residential side, is a little bit more uh, fragmented, I'd say. Um, but yeah, definitely that's something that in the future we, we're definitely going to start seeing that. And we, we see it as in some in some markets. We see where, like to your point, right, the, the heat that is being rejected can be used to, to uh, heat the water that you use sure, to shower. Sure, why not? So there's a lot of uh, potentials there, but I think it's going to be a... You know, we're going to follow the trend of the industrial commercial teams. Yeah. Potentially. Can I also bring in an extra element? Oh, please whole, do. Uh, decarbonization journey. So we talked about uh, energy savings and CO2 emissions, but more and more the focus is also shifting towards water. Yes. You know, a lot of places water just doesn't uh, exist or it's too expensive. Exactly. So somebody stopped by at our booth yesterday and uh, made me walk him through the heat pumps and yeah. the major components and in the end he asked a very important question saying that okay so what is the sustainability impact of this particular unit on display it was a uh, 400 tons cooling and 7 million BTUs of uh, heating okay 42 and 170F so I took an example uh, assuming electric rate of uh, 10 cents a kilowatt hour mm -hmm. and let's say gas dollar dollar 20 per thumb okay. something yep. like that so the quick numbers were uh, you will see annual energy um, savings in terms of uh, opex cost mm -hmm. uh, down by 25 uh, percent then water savings of 30 percent what does that mean exactly for a 400 ton application actually that means a savings of four million gallons of water four really? million gallons of water and then how much wow. CO2 can you avoid? Sure. You can avoid something like three to 4,000 metric tons of CO2 per year. So carbon tax is not here yet, but it's coming. Uh, absolutely, it's it is coming. It's already there in Canada. Yeah. It's there in other parts of the world. So yeah. the CO2 avoidance is not just a... Uh, good to know number, right? But it will have a commercial it could, it impact. It could be a standard at some point. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about this. So we know that we're making a lot of transitions here in the United States and North America. I feel like we are actually very behind times in these transitions. Can we talk about what we see in the commercial and in the residential and industrial internationally and? Give us some hope that, you know, we are kind of behind. We need to catch up. We need to get to some new places in the industry. So what do we see internationally happening in the heat pump eras? All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so in North America, 
somehow the focus seems to be on buildings. Yes. But in Europe, uh, I see that uh, they are extending themselves beyond buildings. So industries, process industries uh, are a big consumer of uh, primary energy. Yes, absolutely. They so are. once again, if you need to decarbonize that steam, you need those uh, high temperature heat pumps, high capacity heat pumps. So there are two things happening, at least in Europe. One is industrial process decarbonization, mm -hmm. but also uh, district heating. So you have, for example, recent example is city of Hamburg. Or we have done district heating in Paris and Vienna and such places. Okay. A recent example is uh, Hamburg, where they will be using uh, the evaporator source as the water from the uh, harbor and putting that in the evaporator to produce uh, hot water for the city of Hamburg. Really? Then in Vancouver, we are using municipal sewage water. Yes, I've heard a lot the about this. Evaporator source, a uh, yeah. uh, neighborhood called Falls Creek. Huh. Uh, to deliver uh, district heating. Then N-Wave Energy Corporation in Toronto is doing district heating uh, using heat pumps. But beyond uh, uh, beyond district heating and uh, buildings, in US at least uh, in the last 18, 20 months, 24 months, I'm seeing really a good, uh, good momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport comes to mind. So they are going the heat pump route. Okay. Uh, Ford Automotive uh, Company, uh, they, they are deploying five heat pumps for something called as uh, Ford Blue Oval City. Sure. So, yes, we have been a bit behind uh, the rest of the world, but I think we are catching up very fast and in a very practical way. Um, but in Europe, you know, once again, back to the, the focus is on steam right now to decarbonize that steam. And right. in Asia, it's all about, in China, for example, uh, it's all about district heating. Hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, and, and if I can add to that, I mean, I think on the residential side, uh, we've seen in, in the global, you know, market, we've seen the, the yeah, you're right, they're ahead, they're, you know, we're kind of behind, lagging behind with the electrification effort, decarbonization. So on the residential side, variable speed and inverted driven mm -hmm. uh, equipment, it has been more popular, or mini splits, for example, on the residential side have been very popular. So I just wanted to add that because that's something that, that yeah, I mean, we, we see that. So ducted systems are a little behind when it comes to those, uh, those type of uh, electrification efforts. Indeed. Um, is this an opportunity to talk about heat pump water heater side of things? Is this a topic that uh, any of you have an interest in or save that for another topic? Because I know we start seeing heat pumps used in a variety of other applications. I, um, I just know it's a, an interesting thing that we see. I've seen a lot of equipment around for, um, for domestic water. We always talk about them for the comfort cooling side. Uh, do we see much in the, in the heat pump water side in commercial applications? I can honestly say I have to bow out on that one. Water, okay. What? Um, um, we'll save that one for another topic systems then. only, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So what do we look forward to in the next couple of years? What are our primary focuses for Johnson Controls looking at the education and development of heat pumps for residential, for commercial, for applications? And what are some good resources that we will have for our contractors and for educators looking at new products, wanting to know, I need to know about these. I want to see what this product is. I need some help understanding what's going on in this sector. Let's uh, let's start with residential and work yeah. our way up. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the residential, we have a lot of resources. But, you know, to everyone's points, when we talked about the heat pump not being as popular or people having some, maybe a bad connotation yeah. of heat pumps not be, being able to handle colder climates, I think that is where we're going to put a lot of our focus, trying to educate Excellent. our customers and help them understand that, hey, heat pumps can't 
do more than what you, can you think do a lot do. of work so i think that's going to be one angle that we're going to take the other angle is obviously educate our customers about the transitions that we're mm -hmm. having and also what are the benefits of our new products that we are launching um, on the residential side doctor residential side we have a lot of products being launched this year mm -hmm. um, with a lot of new features with a lot of obviously with the new refrigerant um, and so a lot of our effort is going to be around that and promoting the tools like Matt mentioned the the you know the refrigerant detection system tool so a lot of those things we're going to be promoting throughout this uh, next couple of years excellent where are some resources that we can look at for residential products yeah so our website will definitely have a lot of resources Johnson controls will have a lot of resources and then you can go depending on you know we're looking commercial residential but yeah our website will definitely be the landing page where you can go and, and find more resources excellent so what about the commercial side of things for this year yeah it, education is going to be massively important yeah. just you know as as much as in the product manager world we, we kind of wear all the hats we were joking earlier each of us um in our individual business groups we all are the firefighters yes. we all are the <laughs> no one else knows what to do so can you, you get the call this? and and so education just yeah. as important as product and technology is going to be a, a very key part of what we do over the next few years um you and i were talking a little bit yesterday mm -hmm. about our industry and how you've got a lot of excitement and a lot of energetic young people coming in and then you've got people who've been around for a little bit who maybe they've installed a heat pump and it wasn't necessarily the right application or, or they didn't have the right technology at the time yes and they've said okay heat pumps don't work in my area and and one of the things that we really are going to have to do is educate our customers on the heat pumps of today are not the heat pumps of 20 years no ago. absolutely not in the applicable regions for heat pumps it is now everywhere. It is not just limited to those pockets where the climate's just right and your energy costs are just right for it to make sense. It's not about necessarily the energy costs anymore. It's about decarbonization. It is about how we impact the environment. And that is something that we can now apply globally throughout North America. Um, really, we have applications now and ways to get to using heat pumps everywhere and educating our customers and that starts with our sales team and then it moves to you know on the commercial side our distribution partners um, our engineers that we call on and it moves down to the end users and letting you know some national accounts we work with know hey if you have decarbonization goals here's how we can help you get there um, letting large facility owners know like you don't necessarily want to just do a like for like replacement just because you had a furnace today doesn't mean you have to replace it with a furnace uh, moving forward. So those educational pieces are going to be hugely important. Uh, one of the things um, that I think Johns Controls is really doing a good job of taking the lead in from an education standpoint is we have in Oklahoma City, so mm -hmm. backtrack, our commercial products are all manufactured in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm based out of. Exactly. And to keep it close to home, uh, we have our Ducted Systems Academy. Our training facility is in Oklahoma City, about 15 minutes away from our plant, mm. um, where we offer courses on everything. One of those is a dedicated course on heat pumps, making sure Excellent. our customers who may not have worked with a heat pump right. before or they may not. It's hands-on experience. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, one, one of the things I love with it being so close to our facility, when, when people come for a training course, um, they get to come to the plant itself. Oh, wow. They get there to walk go. around, see where we build the product, like see how we manufacture myself. it. Yeah, yeah, come out. We would love to have you. Um, and then, then we take them to the Ducted Systems Academy. They'll get uh, hands-on training. We have every piece of commercial product and residential equipment in the facility. Um, so whether 
they're there for a residential course, a commercial course, or a blend, uh, they will have some classroom time. They'll have hands-on time. We have heat pumps in the facility. So we have dedicated wow. heat pump courses where someone who may be an experienced AC tech can learn what's different. How you know how do inverter compressors work in this product? Yes. How do I you know dial in the VFD to, to modulate my blower to maximize my efficiency? Things like that. So yeah. really taking a step forward on the education side and, and investing um, not just in hey we're going to build products here, but we're also going to make this our facility where we are going to lead the way with commercial rooftops. Engineering, manufacturing, training, all really within 15 minutes of each other. Um, and then, as Piero said, we have a lot of documentation on our websites. Um, the biggest thing right now with the refrigerant transition mm -hmm. is we have landing pages explaining why is this happening? What is Excellent. new refrigerant going go. to do? Why did we choose the refrigerant we did? What does it mean for your products moving forward? Right, absolutely. I know, Rajesh, when we get into industrial, that's a whole other animal. It's a little bit more specific, but what do we see for training and for awareness of our industrial heat yeah, pump products? I agree with uh, what Piero and uh, Matt said, but in addition to that, our digital solutions team yes. um, has very sophisticated tools such as the uh, CUP software, which stands for Central Utility Plan Software. Sure. But in the last one year, we have developed a very nice, cool tool. Uh, when you go um, to a prospective customer and you are doing this pitch on heat pumps, and it's so important that the CFO, yeah. CFO of the customer company should understand why should I allocate my capital towards the heat mm -hmm. pump project. Mm -hmm. right. So we developed a ROI tool that oh, works in, let's say, gas rate, electric rate, water sure. rate and okay, what's my current system versus what the heat pump will do. But in a very lucid language, how much less gas I'm going to burn mm -hmm. as a result of the usage of the heat pump. Okay, it's electric-driven technology, so my electric usage is going to go up. So how much more electricity I'm going to consume? Sure. What's my incremental electrical bill going to be? Uh, what's my CO2 reduction? And in the end, what's my ROI? That's all. They want to know. And so we developed this very simplified tool that helps you to input the numbers very quickly and Calculate. almost give a output that a CFO can understand very wow. easily. I like that idea. But I'll also say one more thing. Some of the heat pump jobs out there in the field mm -hmm. have had some issues where unlike a chiller, right, for a heat pump to work properly, you need to have proper uh, load balance. Oh, absolutely. You know, you got to have that cooling load mm -hmm. in order to deliver the heating. Sure. Right? So, and that's so. where we have had problems where manufacturers have had problems, I should say, where uh, you need all the cooling mm -hmm. from the equipment, but you don't need as much heating because of maybe it's a warm day, whatever uh, kids are off to for vacation, etc. Right? right? On a college campus. So how do you resolve this problem? You resolve this problem by innovation. And we have something called as double bundle condenser, uh, two condenser bundles within a common condenser shell, where you now get rid of that excess heat that you don't need and still keep the equipment online. Oh, wow. So yes, there you training go. is important. Sure. But also, true innovation and in building, in, you know, building into your design all those features that help our customer. And the other thing that we have uh, included now is the variable frequency drives. Yes. So heat pumps operate at different conditions, variable conditions. Um, you know, during daytime, during nighttime, sometimes you may be recovering water from a river, not necessarily from a building. True. So the temperatures fluctuate. So how do you keep the equipment online and, you know, not just rely on training? Mm -hmm. so, 
Okay, so a lot of things happening with our heat pump technologies. So we thank Johnson Controls for joining us today. I want everyone to stop by, take a look at all the innovations, the technologies, the transitions, our new refrigerants, and we look forward to seeing you all next time on Did You Know? The ESCO HVAC Show. Thanks, guys.